I invite you to turn with me in God's Word to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll find there our scripture reading for this morning. I read together beginning at verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18, and the last two verses is what we hope to focus on this morning. Let us hear God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written? For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far our reading from God's Word. The congregation there are many things in our lives that can cause us to be anxious. We might worry about what will happen in the future. There can be the pressures or stresses of our to-do list which so often seem never-ending. But we can also be anxious about insecurity and here I think especially of relational insecurity. The well-being and strength of our relationships can be a source of blessing but also a source of fear. When we have a long relationship with someone and this person has proven themselves to be a real friend, we so often don't worry about these things. What if they move away? What if they meet someone else and, and make a new friendship? This sense of insecurity is often more evident when we first begin a relationship. Maybe when you first meet someone new and, and you wonder, do they feel the same way about me as I feel about them? Well, these insecurities and fears do not just apply to our relationships with people around us, but they can also apply to our relationship with God. There may be times in our lives that we may wonder, can something come and break this relationship that God has with me? Is there anything that can come and, and separate us from the love of God? Well, this relational insecurity between believers and God is one of the things that Paul addresses here at the end of this chapter. As we look at the last verses of Romans 8, it's helpful to see how they fit in the larger context of this book. As I'm sure you know, Paul here is writing to this newly established church in Rome. And the main theme of this book is justification by faith. Paul begins in chapters 1 and 3 by showing how we need to be justified. This is true not only of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. He also shows us in these first chapters that justification is real. We can be made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul goes on in chapter 4 by showing that being made right with God by faith is not only a doctrine, but also it's scriptural. He goes back to the Old Testament and points us back to Abraham and to David and he shows how they too were made right with God through faith in Christ. Well, Paul goes on in chapters 5 through 8 to show how, how being made right with God is effective. And not just here being effective in uh, the way that we act, the way that we change. Now, Paul comes back to that later in chapters 12 through 15. But here in these middle chapters, Paul is really focusing on if you are made right with God, what implication, what effect will that have on you? Uh, what's the, the fruit of that in, in your heart and in your life? Now Romans 8 is full of this as he begins, as, uh, as Paul walks through and shows us how we are free from the dominion of sin. How we have received the, the privileges of adoption. And how we're being taken from suffering to glory. And Paul ends this chapter by, by showing this certainty of triumph in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I want to focus on the last two verses and I want to read them again with you. Paul there says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our theme as you look at this is that we are secure in God's love. Secure in God's love. I want to see this in three main sections, three thoughts. First, that this love is an unbreakable love. And second, that this love is a Christ-focused love. And then lastly, how we can be persuaded of this love. So we begin by then by looking how we can be secure in God's love. And that this love is an unbreakable love. Many of us have had friendships or relationships in the past that no longer exist today. Perhaps you or they switched churches. Perhaps one of you moved away. Thinking back to your childhood, maybe your interests changed and your hobbies changed. And children who once were friends with you, uh, they went a different way. And this friendship is over. In the context of dating, you might have concluded that you have very little in common. Or maybe you disagree on vitally important doctrines or, or matters. But others, others of us, especially as we get older, we have lost loved ones through death. Death has come and, and taken them out of our lives. These relationships have been severed, have been broken. That when we consider the love of God towards His people... Paul makes it abundantly clear that this love is the unbreakable love. He gives us a list of ten things, ten things that really cover everything that we can think of. This list begins with neither death nor life. Death so often can come and separate us. Death can, as it were, tear loved ones away. But death will not separate us from the love of God. Paul already mentioned death in verse 36, and there in the context of persecution, he says, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet death for the believer is not something that separates them from God, but through death really they are brought into God's presence. They are brought into God's fellowship. Isn't it one of the, while death is painful, while death brings grief, there's something also beautiful about the aftermath of death. That for the child of God, this life of suffering and pain has come to an end. This life in which sometimes they deal with these doubts and these questions and they wonder, where is God? He seems so distant from me. Now Paul writes, now we see through a glass dimly, but then we'll be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. So death. Death will not separate us from the love of God, but really bring us into a closer experience and communion of His love. So Paul mentions death. He also mentions life. Life comes with many trials, perhaps much suffering, many shortcomings, many failures. And while these failures can at times challenge our relationships. God at times can withdraw Himself from us to, to convict us and to show us our need of Him. Yet even for a child of God, in this life there is nothing that can separate them from their Heavenly Father. So you have neither death nor life. But what, out, what about outside forces, outside powers? Oh, children, what are some of the, the most powerful things you can think of in this life? 
most powerful people. You might think of kings and maybe even dictators. People who today or maybe in the past have ruled with what seemed like absolute power. When they said something, it seemed to always happen. These people had great power. They ruled over large parts of this world. So there's people like that. There's also other powerful things in this world, aren't there? Think of angels. When the Assyrian army came to, to surround Jerusalem, God sent one angel. And then that night, that one angel went through that camp of the Assyrian soldiers and he killed 185,000 of these enemy soldiers. You see here the power of angels. But not only are, are angels powerful, but so are the fallen angels. So are devils. Think in the days of Jesus of the man who was possessed with that, with that legion of demons. And this man, he, he terrorized that countryside so that people would come and they'd, they'd tie him up, they'd chain him. Under the influence of Satan, this man had superhuman strength. He could break those ropes, he could break those chains. So in this world, there's the, the power of angels, but also the power of demons. Yeah, as powerful as these different groups or individuals might be, Paul includes them on this list. He says, Neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers. None of these things, whether good or bad, have the ability to come in and to break this relationship. A few months ago, I began listening to Fox's Book of Martyrs. And as the title implies, it's a book that has short stories about Christians who have suffered under persecution going back to the New Testament church and throughout the Middle Ages. As I listened to these stories, I was struck after I heard story after story of men, women, even children. They suffered terribly, often under very powerful people. You can just imagine as these people are being beaten and, and facing death, how Satan would come in. And Satan would whisper to them, just offer some incense to the emperor. Just deny Christ. Just turn your back on this and go back to your ways. And yet so many of these, these Christians, these, these martyrs, they are witnesses to us. That by the grace and the power of God, that they were upheld, that they could go forward through terrible circumstances. That, that neither principalities, nor powers, nor angels could separate them from the love of God. Well, Paul goes on in this text to give us uh, two more couplets, these sets of two. He says, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And here Paul is bringing in the elements both of space and of time. And Paul here is saying, there's nothing that you face today, and there's nothing that you will face tomorrow. Say nothing in the heights, so we think of the, the furthest galaxies of the universe, there's nothing in the deepest parts of the ocean and everything in between. There's nothing in existence that can come and, and break this relationship. Well, just in case this list is not complete enough and we can somehow think of something else, Paul ends this list by saying, nor any other created thing. As you've gone through this list, I think you get Paul's point. He could have simply said, God's love is unbreakable. He could have simply said there's nothing that could separate us from God's love. 
We might still wonder then, wouldn't we? We might think, well, life today is so different than 2,000 years ago. What about these, these new challenges that we are facing? What about these somewhat unique circumstances that we're in? Yet Paul, by giving us this list, this list of ten things, he seeks to convince us that God's love is unbreakable. As Christians, there are many things that we can worry about. We can worry about death, cancer, depression, loneliness, dementia, dementia the housing crises, rumors of recession, threats of war, possible persecution. Well, while you might face these things and while they might be hard, Paul is telling us here, remember. Remember the unbreakable, unshakable love of God for his people. Remember that there is nothing that can separate the child of God from his heavenly father. As you face difficulties, as you face doubts, go to the Lord, go to him with confidence. Go to him pointing to this text. Look to him for help and provision. We've seen in the first point that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But let's go on to our second thought to see how this love of God is Christ-focused. This is Christ-focused love. Well, our text ends by saying that none of these ten things that we have, that we have gone through shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's, there's a focus here on Christ, but this focus on Christ does not exclude the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's not as though Christ loves us while the Father and the Holy Spirit are distant. It's not as though they are uncaring, uninvolved in the Christian life. Just read through Romans 8 again and we can see example after example of how the Father and the Holy Spirit, how they're intimately involved and active in, in the salvation and the preservation of God's people. And yet despite this, this Trinitarian emphasis in the chapter, as Paul begins here to speak of the impossibility of believers being separate from the love of God, he zeroes in on the love of God through Christ. Why does Paul do that? Why is there this Christ-centered focus here? Well, certainly part of that is that by nature we have something that separates us from God. We have sinful and rebellious hearts. Now how can a holy and pure and just God love a sinful, a rebellious, a broken people? We all know the answer to that, don't we? It's only through Christ. As we go, if you go back a few verses from our text, Paul has given us several examples of the love of God shining or being demonstrated through Christ. Maybe helpful here, if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. We begin at verse, chapter 8, verse 31. You read there, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now the obvious answer is no one. If God is for us, there can be nothing against us, nothing that's stronger than God. But how do we know if God is for us? 
What evidence do we have that God is for us? Well, certainly the answer to that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at throughout Scripture, we see God's love and God's faithfulness on almost on every page. And yet here in Romans 8, uh, Paul zeroes in on, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God, the only Son of God, he is proof. He is evidence that God is for us. He did not withhold his own son. He did not hold him back, but he gave him up. And in the father giving up his son, we can see the love of God being demonstrated. The love of God being portrayed for all of us to see. Well, we can go on to see another example of the love of God in Christ. Verse 33 asks us, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now how does God, how does God justify? How can God take a guilty person, a person who has broken all of God's laws, and somehow make him right? Make him pure. Make him lovely. Well, again, it's through Christ. In verse 34, we, yeah, Paul lists four things that Christ has done. First of all, he has died. We know from the rest of Scripture that this death of Christ was a substitu substitutionary death. It was in the place of his people. Christ came and shed his blood. He endured the wrath and the anger of his Father so that his children can endure the love and peace and joy that God gives and the forgiveness that we find in him. Well, the second thing that Christ has done is he also rose again from the dead. Death and the grave cannot bind him. They cannot hold him. And Christ, by raising from the dead, also has opened up death and the grave for all his people. He has overcome the third thing that Christ has done is that he is even at the right hand of the Father. Christ, he did not stay on this earth, but he ascended into heaven. He is received back by the Father, and even through that, we know that his work is complete. If Christ had not finished his mission, he could not go back to, to heaven to be with his Father. Well, the fourth thing that we see in verse 34 is that he also makes intercession for us. The picture here is that right now, at this moment, Christ is praying. He is interceding for his people. That always baffles me. If I'm a child of God, that right now Christ is praying for me. He's praying that I would be upheld. I would not fall into sin. That I would not abandon him that I would not reject him what a glorious truth this is and what comfort we should draw from that Christ at the right hand of the Father is interceding for his people on well, summary we can say that the love of God is clearly shown in Christ Christ who was sent Christ who died Christ who rose from the dead who ascended into heaven is at the right hand of the Father interceding for his people well, dear congregation, have you come to see the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? 
I don't mean it's at a simple, basic human level. No, it's certainly possible that we hear of this account of Christ and all that he has done and that we're moved by it. Here's a father who gave up his son. Here's someone who suffers and dies in the place of, of undeserving people. We can read in a book of a, of a soldier who dies on a grenade in the trenches and saves his friends, and we can be touched by that. It's possible even that as we, as we hear this, of this account of Christ that we are touched at a, a simple emotional and, and human level. It's not enough, is it? Do we see in this history of Christ that here is a Savior for me? Here is someone who has come, who has accomplished salvation perfectly, who offers salvation to all who look to Him. Here is the, the remedy for my sin problem. Here is someone who can make me right with God. Here is someone who can lead me through this life. As we hear of all that Christ has done, does, it, does this give you personal comfort? Does it give you peace with God? As you hear this, are you filled with a desire to worship God, to praise and to rejoice because of all that He has done? Is God not worthy of our best? He's not worthy of our, our adoration, our love, our thanks, our praise. Well, the love of God is most clearly seen in the work of Christ. By being united to Christ by faith, we can enjoy, we can know this love of God. So we've seen so far that God's love is unbreakable and is Christ-centered. Let's see in our third and last point how we, can, how we can be persuaded of this love. Paul begins verse 38 by saying, For I am persuaded... That all these things cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is much more than, well, I think, or maybe, or hopefully. Paul here has certainty. He has confidence. When we think of the word persuaded or, or convinced, there's a certain passive element to it. It's not so much something you do. The same word, when it's active, it's trust. And when it's passive, it's persuaded. Maybe this example will help you. You're out hiking and you come to a, a deep, a deep, uh, a deep uh, gorge, a deep canyon. There's one of these rope bridges stretched from one side to the other. As you look at this, this rope bridge that will take you to the other side, you are not persuaded. You're not convinced that it will hold you up. But you have a friend with you. And this friend, he, he wants to convince you. He's bigger than you. He goes out to, this, to the middle of this rope and he begins to jump up and down on this, on this rope bridge. And he proves to you this rope, is, this bridge is strong, it's secure. And now seeing him on that bridge, you become persuaded. You are convinced and you demonstrate that by, by beginning to cross this bridge. Well, Paul here, he is persuaded and he also seeks to persuade us. If you think of the life of Paul, it has not been an easy life, especially as he became a Christian. He had been through many trials and in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us quite a lengthy list. He writes, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water and perils of robbers, of my own countrymen, of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. As you think of the life of Paul, he had been through a lot. If anyone from a human point of view, had reason to doubt God's presence, God's love. It could be someone like Paul and all his, all his sufferings. And yet here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I am persuaded, I am sure, that none of these things I have gone through and nothing I will face can break this relationship. So Paul, he was persuaded of this, but this personal certainty he had of God's love was not just true of himself. If look again at verse 38. We can see how Paul begins with the singular. He says, I am persuaded. But Paul does not go on to say, nothing will separate me from the love of, Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. No, Paul, he switches here. He switches from the singular to the plural. Now, on one hand, that might seem kind of what, who cares? But if we think about this, this, is, this persuasion that Paul had was not just true of himself. He says, I am persuaded nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This inseparable love of God was not just true for someone like Paul. He was an apostle. He was someone who, who dedicated his life to evangelism, to mission work. Paul had suffered much for the gospel. You might think, okay, if someone, if God's going to love anyone with an unbreakable love, it's going to be someone like Paul. But Paul is saying that's not true. This unbreakable love of God for his children is true for all of God's children. For all those who are united to Christ by faith. All can have this confidence, this certainty. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not persuaded. Maybe there's a time in your life in which you knew God's presence, you knew God's favor, but now God seems so distant from you. It seems as though your prayers are being unanswered. It seems as though God has left you. How can a passage like this help you? How can this, this text encourage you? This is not a text that you can go back to. A text that you can lay your finger on and take to the Lord in prayer. You say, Lord, I read in your word that, that your love is unbreakable, that nothing can separate me from the love of, of your love through Christ. Yet I have so many doubts. Please convince me. Please persuade me like you persuaded Paul. Give me this certainty that I would cling to this. Show me again your love in and through Christ and help me to, to know and to rejoice in this. Well, what Paul tells us is of great comfort for believers. And if, if by God's grace that is you, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're motivated to press on in the Christian life. But what if you're not a real believer? What if you've never come to a saving knowledge of Christ, never come to trust and to hold on to Him as your only Savior? What does a text like this have to say to you? 
Well, first of all, this text should make you jealous. Seeing the love of God towards his children should give you a desire for this love too. That you too would know and enjoy this. What are the people in this world looking for? They're looking for love. Looking for stability, for security. And yet the love of God through Christ is the best, the most amazing love you'll find anywhere in this universe. So this text should make you, make you jealous, make you long for this. But this text should also give you hope. Why did Paul, why do all believers have this unbreakable love of God? It's not because they are so lovable. It's not because they have cleaned up their lives and somehow made themselves worthy of this love. No, Paul and all believers, they have this love of God because of Christ and what he has done. It's not a love you have to earn. It's not a love that you somehow have to, you know, send enough cards, send enough prayers, impress God by your actions. You simply have to go to Christ, look to Him, plead on the promises that we find in God's Word and ask that you too would, would come to know this and enjoy this. Well, in conclusion, congregation, Paul has shown us in this passage how we are secure in God's love. That there is nothing that can break this love. That this love is especially demonstrated in and through Christ. And that we, like Paul, can be persuaded of this love. Let us look to Christ. Let us look to Christ, for in Christ we will find an overflowing fountain of love. Not just His love, but the love of the Father and the love of the Holy Spirit. I'll end with the words of our text. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.